evening. It's wonderful to see all of you here. We have uh, some Acellus courses to announce, brand new Acellus courses coming out to you that we're pretty excited about. One is Business Math. This is the latest uh, course from Mark Rogers that's now out. It's a high school level math course. We also have for you in Wyoming, Wyoming State History, which is a pretty exciting course. And then our latest course from Todd Edmond is releasing tomorrow, World Geography. So you're going to enjoy that, a lot of you in high school. And then last but most important, I would say, on this list, STEM 3, our electronics and coding course, the third year in our STEM 10 initiative. And we're really excited about that. And of course, that leads me right into the next thing, because I'm going to introduce the instructor from that course, Dr. John, for our Technology Spotlight. Every year, millions of birds migrate across the, the country, you know, going from the south to the north and then back, depending on the time of the year and the weather. Have you ever wondered how in the world they find their way? You know, they probably just stop and ask for directions. You know, that's what I would do, right? <laughs> no, that's not what they do. It's actually really, really amazing. They have a lot of different ways to navigate to find their way, uh, but it's not a GPS. They've actually found, researchers have found, that some birds have a little magnetic compass built right in, and they seem to be able to sense the direction that they're going with that magnetic compass. Well, birds aren't the only creatures that do this. Turtles use the magnetic field to know how to find their favorite spot for uh, nesting, laying the eggs on the shoreline. And then a lot of different animals, fish, for example, find their way. And it looks like even whales do. Some insects and uh, even some mammals like cows, they think, are able to detect this magnetic field. Well, that begs the question, can we detect the magnetic field? Well, that's what we're going to talk about. Um, there are actually some new experiments that they've been doing on people to see if they can detect the magnetic field. You know, oh, 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 I'm, I'm pointing north. No, wait, wait. No, <laughs> that's, but it's a really, really interesting question because just a little while ago, it was very, very uh, debated whether or not animals could sense their magnetic field. But now it's a known fact. There are a lot of uh, proofs that have shown this to be the case. Uh, so these researchers in the California, California Institute of Technology set up an experiment where they took a, one person at a time and put them in this special room. Take a look at this. And uh, it's got a Faraday cage built around it, and they had magnetic coils built into the wall. This looks a little bit uh, ominous, kind of like the, you know, timeout room or something, a place you wouldn't want to be. <laughs> but they put them in here, and it was dark and everything, and they sat in there for a while, and they put different magnetic fields uh, across the room, across the patient. And then they had an EEG on their head to measure their brain activity while they did this. Out of the 40-something people that they experimented on, none of them could tell, okay, now the magnetic field is over here or over there. Like, no, nobody could do that, shucks. But out of the people they tested, there were four people who had very consistent 
uh, brain activity that changed with the magnetic field changing direction, which is pretty fascinating when you think about it. And it's, uh, it was a reduced beta brain waves, or alpha brain, brain waves, excuse me. And so that is the same kind of activity that you get when something in your surroundings changes. For example, um, if something unexpected happens. And um, so it looks like these people were actually, though they weren't consciously detecting it, they were actually perceiving this change in magnetic field. Just fascinating because people never knew whether or not we had these senses. I want to talk a minute, though, about a Faraday cage because it's a really interesting uh, part of this. You know how uh, there are magnetic waves and electromagnetic waves going all around us? Well, a Faraday cage is a way to block the magnetic field. And you may have seen this uh, when they're showing off a Tesla coil and they let somebody go inside that cage. Well, that is a Faraday cage. And the electricity doesn't hurt the people inside of the cage because the cage is grounded and it's one piece. And so the magnetic field, or the, in this case, the electricity is um, constant across the cage. And this is also the technology we use to protect our airplanes when they're flying up and the lightning strikes the airplane. If you don't have a good conductivity all the way across the aircraft, then you can really get a lot of damage from a lightning strike. So it's kind of like a Faraday cage. And I know what some of you are thinking. You're probably thinking, well, then why does my cell phone work in an airplane? And I got an answer. How do you know? <laughs> You're not supposed to talk on the airplane on your phone, right? <laughs> so, uh, well, of course, airplanes have windows. And the electromagnetic waves are small enough that they can get through places where it's not blocked. If you have a Faraday cage that has holes small enough to be smaller than the electromagnetic waves, you can actually block them. In fact, if you have a good Faraday cage and you put a radio in it, close the door, then the radio will stop getting signal. It's pretty amazing. But the holes in the cage have to be smaller than the radio waves, so it depends on the frequency. Anyway, that's a really neat thing. And that interference is kind of a big deal because it changes what we can receive. And um, the electromagnetic waves around us probably interfere with our ability to use our magnetoreception. That's what they call it when you can detect magnetic fields. And so that could be part of the reason why it's so uncommon for us to know of people who can sense that. Uh, so here's kind of a look at the EEG readings that they got. And you'll notice how uh, the one down in the left corner is the lower alpha waves, and that's right after it detected the signal. It goes down like that, and the others are a little bit more normal. One of the really interesting things they noticed was the patients did not respond to the patients. <laughs> uh, the volunteers <laughs> did not respond at all to the electromagnetic waves unless they were changing in a way that they would see in the northern hemisphere. If they changed it the opposite direction that they would see in the southern hemisphere, there wasn't any of that reaction. So apparently, this is tuned to the hemisphere that the people are from. Remember, this was in uh, the northern hemisphere in California. They were experimenting. So that, that's pretty fascinating. Uh, so this isn't something that we can all perceive, but maybe a little bit of understanding about 
the fact that we are actually sensing this might allow us to understand some of the other things in our environment and the way that they affect us. Some people think that the magnetic fields might actually affect how well we sleep and our well-being and stuff like that. And, you know, if we know a little bit more about that, that'd be cool. But, you know, maybe we won't ever be X-Men, but maybe we'll be able to sense Magneto coming now, right? <laughs> so well, that's all the tech we have the time for. Thank you. <laughs> All right, and now it's time for Breakthroughs in Science with Tobias. So, if you took a wire, and you know, we've got this wire, let's imagine that this wire we have is long. In fact, it's so long, it could go across an entire football field from touchdown to touchdown. So it's the long way. Now imagine taking that wire and now rolling it up. We gotta roll for a while, it's a, a long wire. We roll, roll, we finally get that thing rolled up. Well, within the average cell phone today, there's over a football field's length of wire inside. And if you think about how did they fit that much wire, think about this, this ball of wire and getting into that little cell phone how in the world do you do that, and how does it not look like a complete mess? Well, of course, we, we must use small wires, but it just sounds like a big mess when I try to envision fitting that much wire into such a tiny space. Well, in the early 1900s, this whole idea of electronics and doing things with electricity and making these devices and using parts, um, you know, if, if you have an electronic device, there's probably components inside of it that are all together in a circuit making the electronic device work. Okay, well, as they started to create more of these devices, they started to add more components. How can we make it more powerful? How can we make it louder? How can we do more with it? And so it started to get a little bit messy where we had more of these components to put inside of our devices. Okay, or they were a little big to be called devices probably. Um, and how we have to connect them in the circuit. So we have this component, we gotta connect a wire on this side and this side, and then maybe if you had five or six components in your device or you know piece of electrical uh, circuitry, it would, it would be great, but then you start adding more and more. So you got a whole bin of pieces, components that need to be wired together. So this starts to get more and more complex, and this is a, a real great pic, actually it's not a very great picture, but um, this is a picture of inside of a real unit, and you can see all of these electrical components wired together. I would not want to be on that factory assembly line. Um, <clears throat> and if you, I mean, if you look at how messy that is, I mean, nobody wants that, you know, I'm, unless you're a rat or something. <laughs> In which case, you'd look at that and say, look how messy this is. I could raise a whole family here. <laughs> but other than that, I mean, it, it's a huge mess, but not just from the point of view of how extremely long it would take to make this, but also it's getting really messy and overheating issues. Um, if something is broken, I, I don't want to debug that one. Um, it's, it's just from the point of view of mass producing, especially, it's a nightmare. If you want to make a lot of your product and that's what's inside, um, it's going to take a lot of time. It's going to be expensive and, frankly, not very reliable when it actually goes out to the customer. So 
a lot of these challenges start coming in as we start trying to make things more powerful, our electrical circuits. And this is when we come to um, the person that we're talking tonight. And he, he, we got to go to the early 1900s, and this is Dr. Paul Eiler. And he was a, kind of an inventor by nature. He had a lot of unique and creative ideas about ways that we could use things to make other products and other things better. And one um, area that he was very interested in was printing. You know, I, I, we, we know about printing, like if you're going to print a paper, you can print with ink the words or the design onto that paper or even other objects or flat surfaces. Well, he was very interested in the idea of what if you printed wires. Now, if you print wires, that means you got to print it onto something. And what his something was was a flat insulator, and insulator is a material that does not conduct the electricity. So you print these flat wires on this insulator piece or panel, and then take those components that you need to connect to each other, and you connect them to those flat wires on that insulator. And this was a, an idea that took quite a bit to get people to visualize. Um, he actually made, if you look at this picture on the right, this is the inside of a radio that he made. And this is an actual insulator board that he printed these wires on or traces on and put his components that needed to be connected in the circuit on top of it and connected them. So he started this idea of keeping things organized on a circuit board. And with his design, as you could see, we had the wires and the components on the same panel on, on the top. Eventually, they would come up with uh, a newer idea where most of the traces were on the bottom, and you had holes in that board, and you took the components, and they had their connectors sticking through the board, and you soldered them, which is where you take this metal, this material, solder, and you get it so hot that it melts, and then it cools, and it's connected like glue, only it's metal glue, um, the component connectors to those traces. So you have the traces on the bottom of the board, you have your component or little parts on the top, and all of a sudden, it's much more organized. And this was an idea that, again, it took a, a while to get picked up. Um, one of the big moments was in 1948, the United States mandated that all airborne circuitry, so any of these computer parts or electrical circuits, not just in computers, obviously, anything that's in the air, airplanes, spaceships, um, helicopters, had to be done with this printed circuit board. And think about it, I mean, if everything's in wires and you hit turbulence or there's a lot of shaking involved with flight, and so it was not reliable. And you don't want to have unreliable electronics when you're in the air. So they mandated you have to have this on a printed circuit board. Well, that really inspired people to look into this. Um, now, going forward, how did they do this? How did they make a printed circuit board? Well, it starts with usually a sheet of copper. Now, there's lots of different ways they do mm -hmm. this, but start with a sheet of copper. Now, copper's going to be those traces, okay, those flat wires. So they take a sheet of copper, and they're going to put it on basically a fiberglass or an insulator um, board. So a little sheet, and there's the sheet of copper. What we're going to do is put that sheet of copper in a chemical that eats copper away. Now, that sounds like, what? <laughs> you just got the copper and throw it away. But before we do, we're going to take this cl uh, clear sheet of plastic, and artists would draw where they wanted those wires to go on the clear sheet of plastic. 
or they would draw it on something else and they would put it on the sheet. But one way or another, they would dr get those drawings and the schematics of where they wanted all those traces and wires to go, and boy, would it get very detailed, especially on some of those advanced boards. And so now you have a sheet with all those traces. Looks pretty cool, actually. And then they'd put that over the copper, okay? And before they put it on top, they would have a coating that was light sensitive that they would place on the copper or that they place on the copper. Then they put the sheet on, okay? So we've got the copper, we've got the coating, we've got the sheet with these black lines of where we want the wires to go, the traces. And then they shine a special light on it. And all of the places that's covered is protected from the light. Everywhere else, something has changed, okay? So now they take that clear plastic off and they put it in a special chemical and all of that coating that wasn't covered, that the light touched, goes away. So now only those traces on the copper is protected. And then they put it in the chemical to remove the copper. So all of the copper that we don't want, or all the places we don't want traces, goes away. So at the end, we have this fiberglass or insulator board and these copper traces where the wires are. Pretty cool. But then they started making multiple layers on one board. It's like if you had um, multiple stories to a building, things are happening on every floor, hopefully. Um, and that's what would start to happen. They started to have these traces going all over in different levels. So if you look at these three pictures, you can see the copper. You can see, in a moment, you can see the traces. And you can see the, the finished one where only what we wanted the traces to run on the board are left, okay? And we also wanted to get holes. But you know how we talked about the multiple levels? What if we want to have a level that goes from this, a trace that go, ends here and goes down maybe three floors, and then it goes there, three floors, three levels, and ends there. So we have a very, very complex system where traces can go here, and then they go down several layers, and they run here. It gets extremely complex. You got more sheets as you're drawing this, more sheets of the plastic with the different layers of the, the lines that you're designing. So very, very complex. And eventually, you get to this, where you have the circuit board. And this actually has components on it. So these some parts are larger. Some parts are extremely small. And this allows us to keep it extremely organized, but also to be much more efficient and much more reliable. So, and when, when we say complex, uh, here's an example of uh, one of those schematic pieces, and it gets even worse or better than this, um, which is really exciting and amazing that we can do this. Now, of course, now we don't have artists who draw it with a, a pencil or with tape. They use special computer programs to be able to be extremely particular and accurate in creating these. So, pretty amazing if you, you know, just remember a football field. And for those of you who just tuned in and missed the beginning, this probably makes no sense. But we're just talking about rats and their families. <laughs> and where they don't live anymore, we hope. Thank you. Okay. All right. And now introducing Dr. Roger Billings.
That's me. Wow. Your people have got a lot of good ideas. <laughs> yeah. They do. There's more. There's more coming. Is there? Oh boy. <laughs> well, it's good to uh, have you here today, and it's good to have all of you here. Welcome to uh, Science. Uh, it's exciting that Josh. I mean, excuse me. Tobias shared with us uh, the information about printed circuit boards. Uh, there are a lot of things we really enjoy doing, like computers and cell phones and many other things, like a stove or anything today that is made possible because of printed circuit boards. And uh, I just happened to bring one to show you. Uh, in fact, I'll show you the back first. And I, I don't know if uh, Michael can zoom in here on this or not. Can you, Michael? <laughs> Moving target. All right, this printed circuit board is actually a uh, network switch. Yeah. There you can see it a little better, thank you. And it can be straight and straight and perfect, okay. Uh, if I turn this just right, you can see the traces reflecting on there in the lights. Now this particular circuit board is one from my factory. This, I'm gonna flip it over again so you can see the other side. This big chip, right in the middle is the is the main controller and here on the end are a whole bunch of uh, networking cable connectors and we manufacture these for our customers so that they will be able to do very high-speed networking now the fascinating thing about this particular circuit board is that it has eight layers of wires or of traces so this is an eight-layer board and like Tobias said, some of those layers are connected with little, what we, little holes that are plated out with metal we call vias. Um, those of you that uh, do a very good job on your math and science courses and are interested in something like this will probably come here and learn how to make these boards and work in the factory. Others of you will design these if you do your STEM course. The STEM 3 is pretty exciting because it teaches you about a lot of these parts and what they do. So you're actually taking your first step towards designing your own circuit boards, which is, and, and starting out with even just understanding them. And Dr. John, your teacher, uh, not only designs circuit boards, but he designs the chips that go on the boards. And the most complicated circuit board that we build is one that has a chip in the heart of it that he designed. And it made the fastest latency network in the world possible with stuff we build in our factory. So that's kind of fun. Also brought a roll. This looks like a, a, a roll of tape or something. But actually, on this tape are uh, little tiny resistors. These are the kind of parts that go on here, and, and these are, are much smaller than a grain of rice. They're, can you see the, how small those are? Those are, um, are itty-bitty. Those are really small. So, so they're itty-bitty. <laughs> mm -hmm. Itty-bitty? Okay. Itty-bitty. These are itty-bitty, <laughs> but this roll has 5,000 parts on it. And so if we're going to make a board like this, we have to take the parts off this tape and reel and put them in exactly the right place on the board. 
And I think it'd be kind of fun to learn how to do that tonight, wouldn't it? Mm -hmm. So first of all, we designed the circuit board and we produce it with all the traces and the places where parts are gonna go are little places that we call pads. And some of these pads are exposed like these because these are optional parts that on some models we use them and some we don't. So these pads are here. Then we've got to put the parts on and they have to be put on in such a way they'll stay put on but they also have to be electrically connected. And we do that with solder. We actually use molten metal solder to connect them to the board. And it's, it's kind of a fascinating thing. Some of you have seen the soldering iron and they've got a little roll of solder and people will solder jewelry or circuit boards. But in our factory, we have so many parts on one board that we put the parts in place with a robot, with an automated machine. I'm gonna show you that, but would they like to see that? They would love to see that. Maybe we can get a little video hacked into here and, and show you, but <laughs> um, when you put the part on the board, you've gotta have a way to make it stay put until it can be soldered. And so we use paste. And the paste we use actually solder paste. It's a paste made out of little tiny, tiny microscopic, or not quite microscopic, but very small pieces of metal that are in the paste that is the metal which we use for solder. Solder is an alloy of lead and something that melts at a pretty low temperature. And we put a mask over the top of the board, and then we have a machine that takes a big rubber squeegee and goes across and it has little holes and it puts this solder paste on the board. And then when we put the parts there, it just kind of holds them in place. When we get all the parts on the board in exactly the right place, we put it under an inspection machine. And it actually takes a picture with a camera and goes through to see if every part's exactly where it should be. And if it is, then we pick up the whole board and we run it through a furnace. It's just like a pizza oven. Only some pizza ovens flow through automatically, ours automatically, and it goes through it at just the right speed, and it melts all of the solder paste and solders all the parts to the board. And then we pull it out and we test it and see if it works. So would you like to see how that, that happens? Let's see if we can roll the video. This is the factory that makes something that uh, your teachers know about, something that I can get out if I, I got my pocket out, but it's not coming out. Could you please say something while I'm trying to get this out? <laughs> I just want to say hi to all of you out there. And I think that, I want to say thank you for still doing this broadcast. I'm done. I'm done. No, take your time. <laughs> They're really grateful for it. Thank you. I got the there it is. <laughs> Can we show that to them? This is a gold key, and I'm holding a little keychain, but this little part right here is a gold key security token, and this plugs into the USB port on a computer and provides this magic new security that uh, Dr. John and I have been working on, and we actually manufacture these, and they're being used by NASA, by the military, by Lear-Siegel, by a lot of people. And uh, someday, we hope that everybody will use these because then you can log into your bank account and things and no one will be able to steal your identity. 
inside of these little gold keys is a circuit board. And the circuit board is made in our factory. I'm going to actually show you some pictures of these being made. We call them gold keys. Do you want to see those? <laughs> Just wondering. They like my itty bitty. You know, she's giving yeah. me a hard time tonight, isn't it? So when I started this company and I wanted to make these be gold keys, I wanted to have the website goldkey.com. Only it was taken. And so I went to her and I said, I want that website. Will you please get it for me? It's a true story. It yeah. was very hard, by the way. And the people that had it didn't want to sell it. They were using it for some other inferior purpose. <laughs> <coughs> and, uh, and so they said, no, we won't sell it. And then a year later, what happened? Oh, me and my people. <laughs> we found, we found Her people little, are very interesting. Yeah, we found a little glitch in their system and we She found that it. it was for sale. They mm -hmm. put it up for sale and like we grabbed it like that. That's so right. goldkey.com is now our website where our people manage their gold keys. But these are kind of neat. This is another little teeny tiny circuit board. This one is uh, one inch square. And guess what that is? This is another circuit board we make in our factory. It's about the size of uh, your jewelry, isn't it? We can make jewelry <laughs> out of these. <laughs> this is the brain of our little STEM robot. How fun. So when you see that little robot that we use for coding, this is the brain that makes it work, and it's a circuit board. Actually, it starts out as a big circuit board with a whole bunch of these, I think 16 of them. And we load the parts in, we run them through the wave solder machine where we cook them like a pizza, and all the parts stick on, and then we, we cut them up into individual pieces, and we actually stick these inside those robots, and that's why they work. And guess who does all of this? Acellus graduates that are now going to school here at the Institute of Science and Technology. Kind of fun. So, and then this one you gotta see, this is another circuit board. Did you see that zoom? That was, that was pretty good. These are LED lights which we designed to grow plants. And if you look on the back, you can see it's all metallic. We didn't take off any of the copper. We just left it on as a heat sink because these LEDs are so bright they put out a lot of heat. And so this is another product that someday I hope everybody's going to use to grow their favorite food in a closet or in their basement or whatever. Let's roll the Gold Key video, and I'd like to take you through the Gold Key factory. And while this is going, I'll kind of explain some things to you, okay? Hi. Here we go. Welcome to Gold Key. These are the robot machines that put the parts on the circuit board. There's the fingers of the operator. Okay, here we go. So here's a blank board, which we're putting in the machine that puts the solder paste on. Now look, the squeegee goes by, that's solder paste. And it fills all the little pads with solder paste. Now this machine is taking parts out of the roll, like I showed you, and putting them in their place. As you see, there's one of those rolls. And all the different rolls are different kinds of parts that are all loaded on the board. And if you keep watching, we'll put some more parts on. I think you'll actually be able to see it better. 
And after it completes on one machine, then it goes on a conveyor automatically to the next machine and the next machine until it's finally finished and ready to be inspected. Pretty cool, actually, to watch this happen. And you see how it comes rolling out and it's ready for inspection. Here are a whole bunch of gold keys being mass produced. You notice we have to put special epoxy glue in to fill them up to hold the circuit board in place. And we build thousands and thousands of these. They're pretty, and there's the keychain. It's fun to invent a product and to manufacture it and build it yourself. Here's some switches. Here's what they look like inside the cabinets, which we also make ourselves. And here are some Acela servers. If you're using Acelis, then these little boxes are what makes it happen. And here's some tablets, some Acelis tablets, which are being prepared to send to some of you students. And here's a gold key already in its box, ready to be shipped. Uh, and these are being used all over the world. Kind of fun. So is this company yours? Actually, this company is um, partly mine, and there's another shareholder too. There's actually a bunch of us shareholders, and one of the shareholders is Peugeot. That's why I'm so nice to her, <laughs> because she is, she is a director of this company, and she's very smart because she went to school here. All right, so there they are. We're looking at the factory, and I hope a lot of you are going to plan to come to Kansas City and go to school after you graduate. It's a wonderful school to come to. In fact, while we're talking about Kansas City, and by the way, did you know the Chiefs are from here? I didn't know that. And the Royals. I didn't know that. Red Champions. And blue. Yeah, it's <laughs> and we're really proud of our. In fact, Kansas City people are really proud of Kansas City. It's a wonderful place to live. Uh, I really love it here. But I have a lot of news tonight, and some of the news that's really neat is about hydrogen. Yeah? Yes, because next door to us is a hotel, and next door to us, the other way, is another hotel. And we feel like we're being surrounded by hotels. Mm -hmm. And we're in a five-story building, uh, which we call the, the Billings Tower or the Acellus Tower, and there's a hotel here and a hotel here. Well, we have just purchased one of the hotels, and it happened to be the Quality Inn. If any of you have ever been to Kansas City and stayed there, you stayed in the Quality Inn. Well, the Quality Inn sign was taken down and they're gonna move somewhere else. And now we're putting up a sign that says the Hydrogen Inn. And this is the new dormitories for our students here at the Institute of Science and Technology. So some of you that live in Timbuktu or out there somewhere, just want you to know we got a nice place for you to stay when you come. Would you like to see the hydrogen in? Would you would you like to see a quick video? Okay, just happened to bring one. Let's take a look at it. Okay. There, it, that's okay. our building. That's where we're broadcasting from. And right next door, there it is, the hydrogen in. Front door is a little drive under, and there's the front lobby. Just imagine someday you'll probably live here, 
This is the breakfast room and the hallway and the second floor hallway, the third hall floor hallway. And here are the study rooms. In case you get tired, there's a bed. And isn't that nice? <laughs> it is nice. The Hydrogen Inn, your Yay. home in Kansas City. Yeah. Isn't that fun? Yeah. <clears throat> We're really, really, really excited to have it because uh, there are a lot of people that have not been able to come because they're not able to afford some of the housing around. We're in a pretty nice part of Kansas City. We're right by the Kansas City Airport. In fact, we can look out the window and watch the airplanes. But uh, rent's kind of high here for a student budget. And so by having this special uh, uh, dormitory, we're going to be able to help people come that wouldn't be able to otherwise. Also, remember, um, we're so proud of our Cellus Academy, or Cellus graduates, that we give special uh, uh, consideration to them when we're doing scholarships. And, and there's a good reason why we do that. Uh, one of the reasons, because they're our kids, but the other reason is because they're smart. Uh, we found that the, the students that have graduated on the Cellus have really good educations and they really do well in studying these college levels. So if you want to come and learn how to put resistors on boards, and by the way, if you want to know what a resistor is, take STEM 3, because Dr. John tells you all about it. It's a pretty exciting course. So we have some more news today, too. Oh, yeah? Are you ready for it? Uh -huh. OK, this is the Page news. Oh, boy. I'm not, we don't need that. <laughs> we do, actually. You've been promised, and uh, today, this morning, it went live. We now have the crisis intervention lessons. And so when you sign in to a CELUS, on that opening page after you've put in your password and you have a list of your classes and you choose which one you're going to take, look for the compass. It's up on the top right of your screen, and there's a little compass icon. And if you mouse over, it says crisis intervention. That's where she's hiding. <laughs> so you don't have to be in the class, not for these. You can take the social-emotional course. Mm -hmm. But with these, these are just whenever you need them. And apparently, some of you need them real bad because we've had a lot of people watching a lot of crisis intervention <laughs> lessons today. Yeah. So it must so. be a lot. But you know what? We're, we're kind of in a national crisis, aren't we? Yeah. We, we are having the corona crisis. Yeah, we are. And, and it's been tough. A lot of kids are out of school. A lot of parents are out of work. Uh, it's, it's just really, really hard to go through any kind of a, of a national emergency or national crisis. And this one is not national. It's international. It goes clear around the world in places like uh, in Italy, in Iran, in South Korea, in China. A lot of places, it's become much worse than it is in the United States. Uh, New York City's getting beat up right now really bad in Washington State, and, and it spreads around. And for, for the students that don't get it, they don't understand it, it's like a new kind of the flu. Uh, it's a virus, so it doesn't respond to antibiotics like you know some colds do. 
but it's, uh, it's quite contagious, which means if one person gets it, it's pretty easy to get it, give it to another person. And so what we're doing is we're right now trying to slow down the spread by spreading out. So what do they call that? Social distancing. That's why there's so much space between us today. That's why we have a very small audience. Do you, uh, it's true. Do you have this new flu? No, I don't. Oh. Do you? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I could have it. Some of our students are saying, you know, they never thought that they'd be in quarantine. You know, uh, a lot of people have never been through anything like this. Mm -hmm. Even, you know, I've been, uh, I've been alive for what, 20 years now? Long time. <laughs> and I've never been through anything like this. Mm -hmm. This is kind of a, a, a real tough thing. Uh, a lot of people that work at restaurants and places uh, aren't able to go to work right now. And our government uh, today passed a special legislation to try to help our country to recover financially from the problems that people have because they're not able to work. Uh, on the other hand, some other people are working very, very hard in industries where we're trying to take care of everybody. For example, a cellist. Uh, we've never had so many people using a cellist all at once. And I've been to meetings today with our data center people and saying, you know, uh, we need to expand our capability because a lot of people are using the cellus all at once. And uh, no one could anticipate this would happen so fast. So it's, uh, it's really important that everybody do their part and, and jump in and, and work hard. Will it pass? I think so. Yes, it will. It will pass. Will any of us get sick? Yeah, a lot of us will get sick. Some of us have. Uh, it's interesting that once you've had the coronavirus, uh, chances are that you'll never be able to get it again because like we said a couple weeks ago, your immune system built inside your body has learned how to fight this particular germ. And so next time it tries to attack you, it won't be able to because your body will be able to fight it off. So the thing that's really bad about this is it's brand new. And so our bodies have never had to fight this particular kind of a virus. And so they're still learning how. And not only that, our, our uh, hospitals and our doctors are, are still learning how to fight it too. Fortunately, it seems to respond about the same treatments as, as the ordinary flu does. But it's just that uh, since it's not been around before and there's not a lot of people immune to it, that a lot of people are gonna get it all at once. And we didn't uh, plan when we were building hospitals that everybody was gonna get sick all at once. And so that's why we're trying to slow it down so that uh, we don't all get sick. Now, if you get this virus, does that mean you're gonna go to a hospital? No. I, could I please repeat the question? <laughs> <laughs> if you get this virus, do you guys know how to do sign language? If you uh -huh. get this virus, will you that's go? That's virus. That's not about, what's, what's a virus, Jody? Oh, this is a virus. Yeah. Oh. This is more like, <laughs> more like love. <laughs> this is like love? Yeah. <laughs> 
I want that virus. Well, I, I don't love this virus. I don't either. Okay. But anyway, no, you if you get the virus, does it mean I won't necessarily go? No. In fact, most people would yeah. never have to go to the hospital no. because mm -hmm. they don't get very sick. In fact, most people don't get hardly sick at all, which is good. Congratulations to you. Some people do. And that's why it's wonderful to have these modern, well-equipped hospitals available standing by. And most of the people that happen to get a real bad case and go to the hospital, thanks to our wonderful, dedicated medical doctors and nurses and people, technicians, are going to get better. So it's really, really uh, something we need to go through. But the challenge is, in fighting this, we have shut down our schools, we've shut down our auto factories, we've shut down so many different things. A lot of our restaurants and, and our places that we go for entertainment, our sporting events, just we've kind of shut down our whole country. And, you know, stop and think about it a minute. It's wonderful that we can go to the supermarket and get food. And some people have gone to the supermarket and the whole aisle is empty. The shelves have nothing on them. On the whole aisle, it's empty. And you say, I wonder what aisle this is. Is this aisle 7A? Or <laughs> anyway, and it turns out it was the toilet paper aisle. <laughs> and you think, oh no, this is a national crisis. <laughs> <laughs> There's no toilet paper, but they keep bringing it back in and filling it up. Everybody wants to make sure they have enough of what they really need because they're asking people to stay at home. So they all stay at home, but I just want to make sure I have enough of what I really need. And guess what they really need? Teepee. Yes, they need teepee. <laughs> so, but here's an interesting thing. If we shut down the toilet paper factory, and they stop making toilet paper, and we use all of it that's in the warehouse that they keep bringing to the stores, then pretty soon we're going to have to start using fig leaves. No. <laughs> no. I'm serious. That's you know, that's, that's kind of a scary thing when you think about it. Those are little. But for a long time, for a very, very long time, and I'm old enough to remember, we didn't have toilet paper. Okay, I'm not that old. <laughs> but it's, it's really actually a wonderful luxury it and is. something we're very grateful for. And it's nice that we can slow down the virus by taking a time out and, and staying away from people so we don't spread germs. But on the other hand, we don't want to do that too long or we're going to run out of things because nobody's making them. And fortunately... A lot of things are still being made, and uh, our president and our leaders are now working to get people going again. And, and the president announced last night that he's hoping that people will be back in their, in their jobs, most of them, by Easter, which is not very far away. So we'll get through this crisis. And... Uh, you know, uh, one of the worst things that could happen because of this particular virus and the, the attack it's made on our, our nation 
is that it could destroy our economy. And you hear people say, oh, it's going to hurt our economy. What's our economy? Our system of doing things, of business. Of That's right. It's, it's the program that we've developed as a nation where everybody does different things to help, it, help out each other. One person over here makes toilet paper for everybody, while this person over here doesn't make toilet paper. So what do you do? I help students. And, and they help students. Uh-huh. You do? I hope so. She helps them get toilet paper. I try. Paper, which I help <laughs> them smile. I help them you look help at them life smile. through a different perspective when yeah. they're going through something hard. Well, I got some nice letters today from some of the parents telling me, oh, my goodness. Your parents are writing in now, too. Yeah, they're talking know. about some pretty intense subjects. Yeah. And, you know, um, the crisis intervention lessons that are now on there are intense. And they're intended for people when they have a special needs. And when we started putting these together, we thought about, oh, we don't want to talk about that. We don't want to talk about that. Those are really, those are really upsetting things. Like one of the things is bullying. Mm -hmm. We talk about bullying. And people that have experienced that, they don't want to talk about that. They don't even want to remember it. And yet, we need to talk about it because they need help. And a lot, of, uh, a lot of people are having real hurt because of bullying. And we need to help heal that and, and these other things. So I, I told Peugeot, this is one of those times when we're going to have to do something very, very difficult. And she said, I'm not sure that I have the right training and the right knowledge to be able to know how to talk about some of these things. And I says, you know what? Nobody does. But out of all the people I know, you're absolutely the best. And I want our kids to have the best. So let's see what you can do. And uh, when these came out, uh, one of the first students to find them and look at them was me. <laughs> <laughs> You're a student? And, I didn't yeah. Know <laughs> I, I'm, I guess I could say I, I should be pretty unhappy that so many students seem to be having all those crises all the first day because I was sure a lot of them watched today. Yeah, got a lot of feedback. But um, then when I started watching them, <laughs> they're really interesting. Uh, and I have to tell you, um, some of those crises that are described in those lessons are not things that have happened to me, but by, by watching them, and maybe I wasn't supposed to watch them until they happened to me, but by watching them, it did something to me. It made me understand people better. It made me be more careful, and there are some things that uh, maybe won't happen because people were able to realize the implications in that. Uh, one of the things I really liked about these lessons is uh, they, they revealed a lot of truths about life. For example, one of the really, really big truths that I saw in one of the lessons was if you're in this difficult situation, 
you really need to talk to your parents. And then she explained, and for some of you, your parents might be your grandparents or whoever is raising you, but you want to talk to them. You say, well, I can't talk to them. They won't understand. And she explained, when you talk to them, they'll realize that you trust them. And, you know, nice thing about parents and guardians is uh, they care about you. And some problems are hard to solve. This virus is a tough one to solve, and it's really crippling our nation for a while. But we'll get through it. And whatever crisis you're going through, you'll get through it. You really will. And some of the crises, you know, uh, you can say, well, I don't know. What if, what if something really bad happens? What if someone loses their life? because it turns out that someday every one of us are going to do that. That's what we do. And I say, we'll still get through it because I just know that after we die, there's more. And you know, that really helps me. After we die, there's more. So realize that things happen for a reason for a reason That's what I and find out what the reason is and learn from every experience that comes to you. I've always wondered what it would be like to live through some of the crises we hear about in history. What would I do if I was alive when that happened or this happened? And right now we get to find out what we'd do. And I hope that it's waking us up to caring about other people and there was one lesson that said, you know, you could do something nice for your parents, like take the garbage out. <laughs> Did you really say that? Of course I said that. <laughs> hey, I have to talk to these kids. <laughs> you get there. <laughs> well, uh, well don't, don't uh, spend any time watching these lessons. No. <laughs> unless you really need to or want to. But I do think you're going to learn a lot about life as you ponder some of these real hard things that we all need to get through. Yeah. And you realize we can get through them. And we do it by pulling together. And I think that our nation is pulling together in this crisis in wonderful ways. Mm -hmm. And we had other crises. I remember when uh, we had the, the attack at the Boston Marathon mm -hmm. and how that wonderful city came together. And you know what? This whole nation rallied around those mm -hmm. people. And it was years before that when New York City was attacked. And everybody uh, remembered that we all bleed red, white, and blue. And it was just exciting to realize that no matter what happens to us, that we've got a whole nation of brothers and sisters that stand with us and will help us through. I really think this crisis is not something any of us would wish for, but it's making us a better nation. It's making us better people. It's making our immune systems able to resist this kind of a sickness. But it's also, I think, given us time to slow down and remember what really matters and how to enjoy life. 
I, we noticed uh, that even people at the grocery store with the grocery carts, they're, they're just so polite. And just everybody's remember, we're people. And we're all brothers and sisters, and we need to work together and get along. Okay? I like that gesture you did. Can you do it again, this one? This is one of my favorite gestures. Uh, what is that? That's the universal I care for you symbol. Where'd it come from? You. <laughs> so you have to say it. You have to think it, though, yeah. right? I care. I, yeah. uh, I don't know. I just feel that. I do it yeah. without thinking. I just feel it. But uh, I found that it, it can be pretty powerful. You know, I care, but you can actually point it. Mm-hmm. You know, like I could look over there and see somebody and say, did you get it? That come right at you? Me? Yeah, you. <laughs> care. I care for you. And yeah. I, I think that uh, it, it's time to care. It's time to fill that. Yes. So that brings up a good closing question here. <laughs> you sure you want me to answer one? Do you care? I care for you. Oh. And I care for you. I'm, I do. I'm cared for. You are. And I hope that in this time of, of crisis that you will all be cared for and that you will all care for my brothers and sisters that just happen to be all around you. And, you know, uh, this is a really good time to take time to tell the people that you do care about, like your parents, how much you appreciate them yeah. and how much you love them. Mm-hmm. Love is the most wonderful emotion there is. <laughs> and the more you have, the more you get. The more you get, the more you have. And it's just it's something that you'll never have enough of. And the way you get it is by giving it away. So uh, God bless you all. Thank you all for joining us tonight. We'll see you next week. Have a great night.